The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. God, some pretty well-known verses, but we're going to maybe come at it a little different angle today. While you're turning there, I just want to uh, share how good the Lord is with you. Many of you are aware that uh, we committed to an undertaking uh, around the beginning of the year. Um, we felt called by God to get involved in this missions trip going to Mexico, and uh, that we wanted to go down there and build a couple lasting monuments of the love of God. And uh, so we're going to build two houses for two families that right now don't have one. And uh, that's a big deal that I'm excited about, and uh, I know that it's going to speak volumes to that community, not only the families uh, that are being blessed with the homes personally, but uh, as most of you know, uh, building materials aren't free, and so um, we needed to raise $13,000, it's $6,500 per house uh, to build these houses in Mexico, which is really cheap, cheap. I don't know if you guys know what it costs to build a house, but it's more than that, typically. Um, but the way they have this system set up and deals with the lumber and stuff, we can, we can get it done for that. And so, um, you know, $13,000 is a big chunk of money. Um, but I said from the beginning that Jesus has all the money, and we're not concerned about it, and we were stepping out in faith, and... Um, you know, we, we don't just do wild stuff and then wait for checks to show up in the mailbox and blame it all on the Lord. But we prayed, we sought after God, we bl- believed it was his will for us to step out in faith towards this project. And I'm happy to report today because God is good. We have a, we, we have a serious issue and problem that we now have to work through. We have to figure out how to spend the extra money that's come in because we've got more than we need for the houses. So that's a real good issue to have. Um. By God's grace, we have about $15,000 that's come in, and so I'm talking to Pastor Daniel, who's our contact down there, and um, part of what God has put on his life and the yoke he's saddled him with is to plant 50 churches in the communities around Tijuana that are underserved. There's not trained pastors and churches there, and he's on number 25, and I said, I had... uh, I had Mama call and say, well, what's the best way that we can spend $2,000 to help towards church planning? And he said, he told us that it's really easy to get groups to come build a church building, right? Because that's kind of tangible and you can be a part of it. But it's very hard to get people motivated to buy the land. And you kind of need the land before you can build a building, right? And I said, well, praise God. I know the folks at Love City would be all about buying some land so there can be a church planted and the gospel preached in a community around Tijuana, Mexico. So praise God for that we'll be able to fund a significant portion of a land purchase for a church plant. Uh, and I'm just, I, I couldn't be more excited about sowing seeds like that. And so that comes because of your generosity, your prayers. More than all of that, it's God's faithfulness. And so uh, the next time you're tempted to wonder if God shows up and does big things, he does. So dream big and go for it, okay? Amen. God's wonderful, and I'm thankful. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, there hadn't been too many times in my life I had a problem trying to figure out what to do with all the extra money. <laughs> Woo! All right. I'm happy about it. Okay. We are uh, continuing this week in our series, Who Are You? And uh, we are learning about the importance of our identity being rooted in and built upon the beautiful truth that we are children of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are tempted all the time to build our identities or let who we are flow from something other than the fact that we belong to God because of the shed blood of Christ. And it's, it's a constant temptation. It's a battle we have to fight. Um, part of what we're doing in this series is holding high all of the beautiful truths that are reality because we are children of God. And so we, we begin to fill ourselves up with all of these things and understand what the Word says about our identity because of our connection to Christ. And the hope is those things are so wonderful that all of the things we'd be tempted to put in that place would just pale in comparison. And, and, and all the time, we would be excited about the fact that our primary identity, who we are, all the way at the core, is that we are a child of God. And that the rest of who we are would flow up out of that truth. That's where we're headed. Um, because much of our issues, our sin, our failings, our struggles, and our apathy towards God's mission that, that can tend to happen in, in God's church is a result of our identity being skewed, of disordered affections and us not really knowing who we are in Christ. And so we're going to work on that and, um, from yet another angle tonight. So I'm excited about it. We're in uh, Matthew 5. I told you that, right? Are you guys at verse 1? Okay. We're going to read a fair bit of previous context, and that has mostly to do with the fact that uh, I just like verses a lot. So we, we could have read less than this, but sorry. It's my fault. Here we go. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, keep in mind that his disciples came, they, kind of, this is sat, they sat down, he's talking to his men, okay? That's going to be important. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. We're going to focus in on verses 13 through 16 tonight, and we're going to explore together the fact that as children of God, we are salt and light. The first thing I believe warrants our attention is the phrase, you are. This question is important. Who is speaking here? If you have a red letter Bible, you have a bit of a cheat, right? It's Jesus, okay? So anytime that's the case, my ears are perked up. But, but secondly, we see Jesus addressing exactly what we are talking about in this sermon series. He starts off with the phrase, you are. Uh, and I want us to contemplate for a moment the power of his definitive statement, you are. This is Jesus saying it. And so all of a sudden, to me, this, this holds a whole bunch of weight, right? This is Jesus Christ. This is God become a man. The word become flesh. He who was and is and is to come. 
the creator of all things, the master potter who forms us as lumps of clay. And when the words you are leave the mouth of our Savior King, they have the power to backhand smack down anything that would stand in disagreement to them. You guys have seen a good backhand, right? At least on a show. You know what I'm talking about. It's the most disrespectful way to put someone in their place. Pop with the backhand, right? But the words of Christ, anything that would stand in disagreement to what King Jesus would say about you and me, gets that disrespectful backhand. Sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. They get to tuck, tuck their tail in shame. Uh, I just like that Jesus has so much authority that anybody else that even tries to stand just gets humiliated. Don't stand against Jesus, man. He's the king of everything. And I'm happy about it because I'm on his team. All right. So what do I mean by that, right? There are many things that maybe others have said about you that started with this phrase, you are. People could have said, you are a loser, or you are good for nothing, or you are insignificant, or you are not wanted, or you are not loved, or you are hopeless. And sometimes statements like these originate in our own minds or as attempts by our enemy to deceive us. So sometimes this is external, these types of thoughts. You are this. Sometimes it comes out of our own deception and belief about who we are. Sometimes it's our, our common enemy, Satan, that's whispering these things to us or, or shouting them, uh, depending on the day. But whether it is someone else or we ourselves that say or believe these things, they are shattered into pieces by the truth-wielding power of the words of Christ. And I am thankful for that. I'm going to ask you to assess your thoughts as we work through what it means that Jesus said to us who follow him that we are salt and light in this world. I'm asking you to let the authority of the words of Christ vanquish and destroy any thought you have about who you are that runs contrary to what Jesus has clearly said. And I'm going to ask you, as we go through that process, to thoroughly enjoy watching those deceptions be crushed into dust before your eyes. This should be fun. You ready? Let's talk about it. Amen. Okay, verse 13. Let's look at that again. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I personally believe that Jesus was incredibly intentional with his analogies. I think he understood their application to depths and levels that we may never. Um, Using this comparison would have struck a deeper chord for those um, there in that day than perhaps it does now. Uh, Part of the reason for that is that salt was incredibly valuable in the ancient world. So much so that it was often used as currency even. Uh, Roman soldiers would sometimes be paid their salary in salt, which is where the phrase worth his salt, you've heard that before? That come from that, because salt was so valuable, it could be used as money. Uh, Salt had so many uses that it was a main part of life and survival in that time. So for those people listening to Jesus say this, you know, we say, you hear salt of the earth, we think, you know, the little shaker on the table that makes my fries taste better. It's not like that crucial. We've got enough salt in in our food already, right, that we're not really hurting for it, right? Yeah, you're not amen in that one. (laughs) Anyway, so your nachos have enough salt. We're good, right? It's not like something we're really hurting for, but salt, it was harder to obtain then, um, and it was more valuable, and they used it for more things, right? Lack of a refrigerator, 
you use salt to keep things from rotting. And so it was used for a lot more. It was a big deal. So to kind of help us understand how this would have struck that crowd, I want us to think of something today that is of incredible value, something that people could not survive without. It would almost be as if Jesus said to us today, you are the social media of the earth. You are the ice cream of the earth, right? You know, really important stuff that our way of life depends on. If he would have said that, see, all of a sudden you'd be like, oh my, this is really important. The ice, the ice cream of the earth? Well, what does that mean? What is my place then? This is crucial. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's how it hit them. They understood, whoa, that's a big deal. Jesus is making a big statement here. Hold on, salt of the earth, that's, that's important, okay? And there may be hundreds of ways that referring to us as the salt of the earth makes sense. We're going to look at three together quickly, and then we'll move on to the implications of being the light of the world. Uh, first of all, and, and the first reason it makes sense that Jesus would call us, his people, the salt of the earth, is that salt is a preservative, and it keeps things from rotting. We have many examples besides just taking a look around at the state of affairs today to prove that the constant tendency of mankind is a steady moral decline as they drift away from God. This could also be characterized as the rot of humanity. Think about it. You put a piece of meat outside, unprotected, and before long, it will begin to decay and rot and stink. Men and women separated from God by sin are not much different. Look at the arc of history. The more enlightened and supposedly independent from God we become, the darker and more vile our ways and deeds are. As Frederick Nietzsche, the atheistic philosopher, declared in the end of the 19th century that God is dead, the 20th century became the bloodiest and most violent the world has ever known. As the objective truth of the word of God has been replaced for the subjective and fluid morality of postmodernism, we've seen the rise of more darkness and depravity than many would have ever imagined possible. But this rot that is caused by man's pride and desire for independence from God can be slowed and in some cases stopped by his people being the salt of the earth. Think about it. Why does that meat rot? It rots because it's dead and it's no longer connected to the source of life. Right? What did Jesus say? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whether it's a branch on a vine or the flesh of some living organism, you separate it from the rest of that, the source of life, and all of a sudden it's dead and now susceptible to rot. And that's why every person separated from God the Father, who is the very source of life, is also susceptible to that. Because of Christ in you, I would ask you this question. Because of Christ in you, does the atmosphere and respect for God in a room change when you walk in? And I would ask you, should it? When we as God's people live lives that are motivated by love and empowered by his spirit among the rest of humanity, we can push back against the inevitable decay that is a result of separation from God, who is the source of all life. Because of Christ in us. Let's not get it twisted. I don't want to think that because I know a few verses or, or uh, you know, um, I have a, 
you know, I, I'm not saying this about me, just anybody could think these things. I, I have a charismatic, dynamic personality, and so when I go in a room, yeah, it does light up, or I can, I can change, I don't want to get it twisted and think that I'm the point. The point is that God, because of Christ, has decided to dwell in me, and, and simply because Christ dwells in me, when I walk into a place, respect for God should increase, right? In, in, in a spiritual sense, man, people should snap to attention. All of a sudden, there shouldn't be as much heckling and disrespect towards God that often happens because of Christ in me and because of the anointing and holiness with which I walk. When I walk into a place, some people should take notice. And that's not to magnify me or you, but it says something about the power of the God that lives in us. So I ask you again, because of Christ in you, does the atmosphere and respect for God in a room change when you walk in? And I would ask you also to consider, should it? I believe it should. I remember reading a story one time. Um, some of you may not agree with all of his doctrine and theology. Some of you will never heard of his name before and you'd have no idea. But um, I, I, neither way does that really matter. The whole point is there's a man named Smith Wigglesworth. He was a preacher uh, early, early 20th century. And um, there's a story told where... Uh, he walked in, he was riding on a train. He walked in this train car and uh, he sat down across from this guy and this guy was reading a paper and he could tell instantly when S Smith sat there next to him that he, he began to be agitated. And uh, as the story goes, before long, this guy, this other guy also had some papers and stuff in his hand. He threw that down and dropped to his knees and said, I don't know why, but I'm convicted in your presence. What must I do? And, uh, you know, sometimes stories can be embellished and, I don't know how good the record keeping was on whether there was a witness to this or whatever, but based on what I see in the scriptures, based on what I see happening in the book of Acts, there's no reason for me to not believe that's possible. That simply because of Christ in me, that I can cause a holy agitation for the person next to me and that that would be a good thing for them. Maybe something this drastic hasn't happened to you, but the question is, do people change the language and topic when you're around? When, you, when you're around, do, people, do people's language change? Does the way they use God's name change? If not, what does that tell you? Now, somebody will be so, some people will be so dark in their, in their understanding, so blatantly disrespectful and hateful towards God, they may increase that type of language just because you're around. But that's going to be the the exceptional case and probably not the rule, right? You don't have to be the conversation police or correct everyone's language all the time, but the more you talk about Jesus and the things of God, the more people will begin to check themselves around you. And this can be the beginning of conviction breaking down the walls around their heart. Again, I'm not saying that you put yourself up as, as the, the super spiritual, better than everyone else in the room guy or gal. That's not gonna help right? Um, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that's not what we're talking about doing, but we're just talking about the fact that because of Christ in me and because of where, where I direct conversations, because of what I talk about, the people will know clearly that I belong to Christ. And that would make them think about the way they say, use his name or the kind of conversation that they're having. Uh, I, I've had to say to people before, uh, you know, something like, hey man, as good as God has been to us, why would you want to use his name to curse? And a lot of, you know, people, people don't, first of all, they're like, what? You know, they, they don't know what to do. And, oh, whoa, okay, sorry. And then, you know, from then on, uh, I've had people say, oh, well, you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to curse around you. Or I'm not going to say this and such around you. And it's like, hey, man, don't, 
Don't worry about editing for me, man. King Jesus, he's with you all the time. Edit for him. And uh, I even had a guy say that to me recently because he said, oh, I better not talk like that around a, a man of God. He's a guy that works at the mechanic where I get my truck worked on. And I said, man, don't worry about editing for me. And he's like, well, I'm going to edit for the man upstairs. I was like, well, hallelujah. I don't know if man upstairs is the most respectful title, but he, he's getting the point, right? So, and I was just glad that showing up there today, talking about whether or not I need a wheel bearing on my truck, I was able to agitate that guy a little bit and think about what was about to come out of his mouth. That's conviction. And I'm believing that God will take that and use it as a seed and continue to work in his life. Amen? And that's just the everyday, mundane, man, what are you talking about? You're at the mechanics. What? Yeah, but that's the deal, man. Salt of the earth. Everywhere we go. And uh, it's only by God's grace that that's possible for any of us to do. Okay? Um, I can't make somebody respect God, but I can encourage them to think on his goodness. And uh, I can let them know where I stand. And be loving about it and humble about it. And uh, I believe that that will have a positive effect. And kind of slow the rot that is the inevitable kind of decay that happens as mankind pulls themselves farther and farther away from God. Okay, uh, so reason number one that it makes sense for uh, God to refer to us as salt um, is that it preserves and slows the rot. Reason number two is that salt makes things exciting. Uh, I'm going to read you an excerpt from a Time Magazine article. I've, I'm pretty sure this article was actually slamming the fact that there's so much salt in food, but um, it still kind of makes this point that everybody that, like chefs and everyone that deals with food, they understand that what I'm about to read you is true. This is a quote from a Time Magazine article. The food marketplace is under constant pressure to make everything tastier, more explosive, more exciting. And salt is everyone's go-to flavor enhancer because it opens up the taste buds. It's basically cocaine for the palate, a white powder that makes everything your mouth encounters seem vivid and fun. I think we need to be constantly reminded that God is the author of joy, laughter, and fun. Holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. In reality, they're inextricably connected. I think oftentimes people think there's going to be this trade-off. If I serve Jesus or if I start to obey him more, that what I'm going to do is have to lay down joy and happiness to pick up holiness. And I just wish people didn't believe that because it's not true. Because following and obeying God, doing what it is that he made you to do, is the path to the greatest source of joy. Because it's joy that you don't ever have to feel guilty about. It's joy that's unshakable. And it's joy that comes from an ever-flowing source. Relationship with God the Father. And so I think that Oftentimes we think of us as being salt of the earth, as going in and kind of like being salt in a wound or salt in the eyes that we're this, always this kind of negative agitation. But I, I think part of what Jesus is saying is, man, we're supposed to bring some excitement to this thing because when everything is dark everywhere and, and everything is just men kind of doing whatever comes to their mind next, there's a certain point where the, the, the Sinapalooza becomes this kind of bland mix of, ugh, what, I mean, where else can we push it? Where, what's the next thing that we can do to try to shock somebody or, or find some satisfaction for ourselves? And it's like, at the end of, at the end of it all, you, you kind of run out of stuff. And I believe that not only um, as the salt of the earth are we supposed to push back against the rot that is sin, but we're also supposed to add some flavor and joy to this thing. Um, I knew many people in my younger, wilder days. Uh, I still know some now, but not as many 
they, these guys could not imagine gathering together with other people for some social interaction without first ingesting some chemical to enhance their mood. I mean, if you listen to them talk before anything, we gotta go get some of this, or we gotta go get some of this. It was just, it was, there was no way. It was gonna be the end of the world. This, this gathering of people was gonna be the dumbest thing ever if we don't drink something, smoke something, pop something. And literally, that was the, the prison that they lived in as far as the way they understood enjoying themselves in any way. Um, and, and, and that's really sad. I, I think it's sad. And also, what I don't think we often realize is that it's really offensive to other folks because what you're really saying is, there's no way I will enjoy myself around these people if I'm not high or buzzed, right? I don't know why I never got upset about it. Like, hold on, like, why can't we just kick it? Like, why do you have to be blitzed in order for us to have fun, right? Am, am I that dull, right? So, um, anyways, I, we're not always that considerate. Um, and, and people might not say out loud, I'm, there's no way I can enjoy being around you if I don't put something in me first, but their actions can really communicate that. Um, and that's a shame. If a Christian is in a group of people, whether it's friends, family, work, school, we should be so full of the life and love of God that not only are we joyful, but we are causing others to be as well. We should be the life of the party, the ones that everyone wants to be around because after all, we have a whole lot to be happy and excited about, don't we? Listen, I know life is just as hard and sometimes harder for us than it is a non-believer. Absolutely, I get that. But, but boil all that down and put all that to the side. No matter what came against me this day, I am still a child of God, bought with the blood of Christ. I still have the assurance of eternity with a God who loves me so much that he laid his very self down in my place to forgive me of my sins. I have the entirety of the truth of the scriptures that tell me over and over again, blessed am I if I will obey and walk after God. I have the promise of joy unshakable. I have the, the promise that I can bring my prayers and my petitions, my issues, my struggles, my fears, my anxieties. I can bring all that to a God who is big enough and loving enough to do something about it. What am I sad about? And how am I not going into any situation with some joy to lend? Amen? Amen. I don't have to be the life of the party because I'm, you know, Swinging from the chandelier with a lampshade on my head because I'm so drunk, I don't know what's happening. I can be the life of the party, man, because the truth of God resides in me and the spirit of God resides in me. And true joy flows up out of me because I have a, an excess of it. Not because of me, but because of him and because of the truth of his word. I want to have joy to share. You might say to me as a pushback, hey, man, but I'm shy. You start saying life of the party, that's not me. Well, Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, so you can argue with him about it. Yay, shy people are like, yep, last service I'll be too. Um, no, let me clarify. Let me clarify. This doesn't mean that you have to be loud and the most outgoing person the world has ever seen, right? But it does mean that you should walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord that comes from believing his gospel. And that has a lot of different ways it plays itself out. You don't always have to be, you know, the person in the middle of the center of attention and all of that. It's not what I meant by the life of the party. I just meant if I'm there, there should be some life in the party. <laughs> if you're there and you belong to Christ, there should be some life in the room. And, and I, I just wish we'd raise our expectations a little bit about what happens when Christ, indwelling in us, living in us by his spirit, comes into a place. I don't think, sometimes we're even thinking about it. 
I don't think sometimes we're, we're even giving any credence to the possibility that because I'm about to walk in this room and because I'm filled with God's Holy Spirit, that somebody might be convicted, encouraged, changed, or helped. But I just have this feeling that when Jesus himself walked into rooms, that stuff tended to change for the better, don't you? Woo! And I'm telling you, there's no difference. He said we would go and do greater things even than he did. Did he not? Can we raise our expectation a little bit? Can we have a little bit more mindfulness? Can we understand that what Jesus said to us is you are the salt of the earth? Can we pick up that yoke and act like it matters? And can we believe that he'll give us the power to do it? I understand that us being the salt of the earth, aside from the anointing and help of Christ, is a terrifying thing to even try to contemplate. We're not going to pull that off. But because of him, all of a sudden it becomes not about us. And we just have to, the same, way we, the same way we grabbed a hold of salvation, we grab a hold of this, by faith. We trust. Because he's in me, when I go places, when I encounter people, stuff's going to change. When I, when I bump into somebody and I start talking to them, I'm, I'm instantly going to believe the Holy Spirit in me is going to start working on their heart. I'm going to have opportunities and conversations that nobody else will have. And some of you are shaking your head because this stuff happens. You already know. You know, it, just as you're about doing your thing, you're... You're salting up the place, man. Making a mess for Jesus. Amen. Okay. If, if we do this, we will season every situation, taking it from bland and boring to savory and exciting. And uh, that is an exciting thought to me. Okay, the third reason, and I said there could be hundreds, the third that we're going to talk about tonight. So we talked about the fact that salt makes things exciting. We talked about the fact that salt is a preservative and it holds back the rot and the decline and decay of, of sin. Salt also has the potential to slay sin, okay? Let me read this to you, Matthew 16, 6. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what was this leaven, right? There's many times all throughout scripture where sin and leaven are compared to each other, right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There's all kinds of scripture, uh, even, even in the ceremonial stuff from the Old Testament, it was like, go through, don't let there be one little speck of leaven during the time of cleansing. Uh, so leaven is associated with sin and part of it is because of the way it works, right? A little bit of leaven gets in there and left to itself, it'll, it'll multiply and make more problems, right? It'll leaven the whole lump of dough and sin is like that. So Oftentimes that comparison is used. Um, but I, I would say, so what is this leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, primarily it was pride and religion. Uh, and all of, we know that every single sin we commit, if you drill down to the root of it, there's pride there. And so I think what Jesus is telling us is beware of this leaven of pride, which is really the, the thing that all other sin shoots out of. And so... Um, Understanding, again, I think Jesus is so intentional with his analogies, and I think he, he like knows how science works. So it, this is kind of cool. Um, it, I, I'm not trying to get all nerdy on you, and this will be the last thing that will seem like it, but yeast, which leaven is yeast, right? What yeast is, it's an, actual, it's an organism. It's a unicellular fungi. Who's still with me? Who just glazed over? A one-celled fungus. Yes, okay? So like, you guys have eaten a mushroom before. All right, it's in that family. Um, and so some of you are like, no, I haven't. I'm not gonna. Well, you're missing out. Um, yeast is a unicellular fungi. And so uh, what it does is as it reproduces and it creates little air pockets and that's how leaven leavens dough and does what it does. Um, 
if, if somebody is leavening some bread and they've gone a little heavy with the, the yeast, they've got too much going on in there, do you know what will slow down and even eventually kill that yeast? That's right, sodium chloride. Salt. Salt kills leaven. And if you, here's, here's something interesting. If I was to take a glass, two glasses of water, right, um, and, and put some sugar in both of them and dump some yeast in one with just water and sugar, those things will take off and they will become their own little colony and they, it'll be like an alien invasion in that cup. I take another cup, put sugar, water, and salt in there, and I dump that yeast in there. Guess what? If the salt's already present in, in a high enough concentration, yeast does nothing. Dies instantly. Hmm. We're learning something, aren't we? All right. The blessed charge to us of being gospel salt spread throughout the world causes the appeal of sin to fade ever more dim. And so here's the way I see this working a couple ways. First of all, this being the salt of the earth, we think of, we think of pushing back against sin in a lot of different ways. Um, I think ultimately... You know, we say it here a lot because it's, it's kind of like woven into our DNA in a way that we can't pull it out if we wanted to. You know, love conquers sin, right? Bottom line. And this, what's going to motivate us most to be the salt of the earth is going to be our love for God and our desire to obey him and our love for other people. Because we understand that if we are doing what we're called to do, if we are, if we are spicing up the world and making it exciting, if we are pushing back against the rod of sin, that people are going to then experience through our obedience the faithfulness and the power of Christ. And so when that happens, they will come to meet Jesus. And for those that really love God and love other people, that's a big deal. That really motivates us. And so we know that for us to disobey God and disengage from that mission of being the salt of the earth and instead choose to go on some other path, uh, doing what it is we decide we want to do, that that has an actual tangible cost. That People's lives that we may have intersected with the, the, the salt of the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we won't be doing that because we're off doing whatever the heck we want to do, right? And so how does, in this analogy, how does this being the salt of the earth push back against the leaven of sin? If I was to, I just have to believe those that have been encountered by the love of Christ, those that have tasted and seen that he is good, those that have experienced what it is like to, by his power, be the salt of the earth... I, I think the only time we, we travel over into sin and disobedience is when we stop thinking of things in these terms. Because I can't imagine holding up to any of you who really love Jesus two options. Saying, okay, here, option one is continue to be the salt of the earth, grow in anointing, grow in love, and, and continue to be a blessing to people and lead them towards Jesus. There's option one. Option two is go home and watch some porn on your computer. Or option two is go over and whatever it is, right? Pick your sin of choice. Because all of a sudden, when I, when I hold in this hand the option to be a part of the task that Jesus put upon us, to be the salt of the earth, sharing the good news that no one need go to hell, that no one need be hopeless in this life, that there is love and acceptance available for them at the cross. When I hold that up as option one, and then any sin up as option two, I can't imagine that having much appeal. The problem is we just don't think about it like that when we're over here dabbling and doing whatever it is we're doing, right? We just, we don't, we don't let ourselves go to that place and think about what's at stake. We get our eyes distracted, pulled to the right and to the left, and we're not thinking about the fact that we have been endowed by Jesus Christ himself with the words, you are 
the salt of the earth. Now, if I am thinking in the moment of temptation, it is my job by God's grace and strength to be his ambassador and messenger, the salt of the earth, a, a herald of the gospel, that I have the option to do that today, or, or I can disengage from that and I can go do whatever it is over here. Which one am I going to pick? I, I mean, if, if I have Christ in me, I'm going to pick rolling with him. <laughs> it's, it's only when I get myself away from that reality that, that the, the temptation to sin overcomes me. And so love for God and love for people is part of how we're the salt of the earth, and that destroys sin every single time. Love trumps sin. And anytime we choose sin instead of obedience, we're, we're not choosing love. And we're letting that, that beautiful mantle that was given to us by Christ of being the salt of the earth, we're letting that fall to the wayside. How does salt lose its saltiness? In our terms, it loses its love. In our terms, it becomes less concerned with how it is my life affects people around me and it becomes more concerned with what I feel like doing right about now. That's unsalty salt. And what's Jesus say about unsalty salt? You might as well throw that out. Walk on it. It's not doing anybody any good. Praise God for grace and mercy. Because I'm sure there's been times in my life where I would have qualified as unsalty salt. I'm thankful by his grace and mercy and his willingness to forgive me that he'll, he'll uh, resalt me. <laughs> I don't know. He'll let me be salty again. I'm thankful for it. Amen. We're going to read verse 14 now. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's go through to 16. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me read you another verse in what might seem like contrast here. This is John 8, 12. Right? So verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? His disciples. He's talking to his followers, right? And so this applies to us as well. We, he's saying, we are the light of the world. John 8, 12 says this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay? So we have two verses now saying what seems to be two contradictory things, right? Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? Verse 14 here in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Here we have what looks like a potential contradiction. Is it Jesus himself or we who are his followers who are the light of the world? Yes. The answer is yes. Let's work on it. Uh, let, me, let me read you this quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon. I think, it, <clears throat> I think it draws the nuance of this out well. He says, Christ Jesus brought the light of deity into the poor lantern of our humanity and then set it upon the candlestick of his church that the whole house of the world might be lit up thereby. So indeed it is. We are the light of the world, but only as, as, as a holding of. You see what he said? We're the, the, poor, the poor lamp of our humanity. He is the source of light. We don't create light ourselves. We're like a mirror, man. 
It's like he's the sun and we're the moon. We don't create any light of our own. We just reflect his. We reflect his beauty. We can be a holder of his glorious light. But in that way, he is the light of the world and we are the light of the world. But it is only by his grace and only by his power. And it's a, we need to understand John 8, 12 so we don't get a big head about uh, Matthew 5, right? Because you can could, you could hear you are the light of the world. That's pretty important. Light's, light's a pretty big deal. Is it not? Like, pretty much all of life depends on it. Um, you know, and people like, to, people like to jump in. You know, I know there's Discovery Channel's great. So people hear me say that much of life depends on light. And they'll say, well, there's really deep caves. And there's really deep trenches down in the ocean. There's no light. And there's animals down there and organisms. Thank you, Dr. Nye. Uh, I know that that's true, but um, most people that know what they're talking about would say the way ecosystems work, that those animals, even that live in those really dark places and are not dependent upon light, they depend upon the rest of the ecosystem that does depend on light. Most of those fish way down in the trench are eating something that dropped down from, you know, having experienced photosynthesis at the top, right? So I realize there's places so deep in the ocean that light doesn't get there, but some of the little num-nums that were in the light get down there, right? So... <laughs> I try to stick with really scientific terms when I'm talking about this stuff, just so you guys know it's credible. And uh, num-nums is one of those terms, so you can write that down, Rand McNally. Um, okay, so where are we at? Um, so how does, how does this statement from Jesus stack up to some of the other things that have been said about you? This is what I want you to think about. How does this statement from Jesus stack up to some of the other things that have been said about you? Because of your connection to Christ... You are the light of the world. Just, just, just stew on that for a second. Man, that's beautiful that he would let me share in that designation. Whew. Because of our tendency towards pride, I don't know if I would have risked it if I was him, but apparently he knew that because of his Holy Spirit in us that he could walk us down the path of rejoicing in the fact that we are the light of the world but not beginning to take credit for it. The importance of light in a physical sense cannot be overstated, of course. And that's, again, why this analogy makes sense. Uh, life as we know it cannot exist. Um, and some would say not at all without it. And there's no doubt that in a spiritual sense, the light of the life of God, available through Jesus Christ and his gospel, is the only hope for all mankind. The light of the life of God. And that that light and that life and that hope is embodied in the message of the gospel. The gospel being both bad news and good news. The bad news being that every single one of us is imperfect. I'm not sure, you know, maybe you've had a really good week, but man, I'm sure that if you think back far enough, at some point, there, there, was, there was a point in time where you would say, yes, I missed the mark of perfection. I think if you're really honest, if you thought back 10 minutes, you probably understand you missed the mark of perfection. Uh, I, I know that that's true for me. I'll raise my hand. You can stay quiet and safe. Um, but that's true. All of us have missed the mark of perfection. And that, that is an issue because God is so perfect. The Bible describes him as holy, right? In Isaiah's vision, in Isaiah 6, the seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy. We know that over and over again, this chorus is sung in heaven to God himself, that he is wholly set apart. There is none like him. His perfection is unblemished. And the fact that uh, 1 John compares him to light, again, we see the beauty of, of these analogies, 
and the depth with which they go. Light is such a pure energy, it cannot be mixed or diluted with anything. Go check that out. That's the truth. And, and that's, that's in, in, as a part of God's essence and perfection, we cannot, the, the relationship that we were meant to have with him is severed by our sin. That cord that connected us to him, the, with him being the vine and us being the branch, our sin is, 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 is chopping us off from that life force. And, and in so doing, we begin the process of death. And that's, that's a really big bummer. That's really bad news. Because if the problem is that I'm imperfect, if that's what separates me from God, I'm also smart enough to know that I can't make myself perfect again. I don't have the tools in my toolbox to get me perfect again. So this, this could be really, really discouraging if there wasn't the beauty of the good news coming behind it. And here's that. God knew how much trouble we were in. God knew we couldn't fix the problem, so he did. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that none of us could have, and then he died the death that all of us should have. He paid the price that was required for justice to be satisfied because God is perfectly loving and perfectly just, and those things are not in contradiction. And that's hard for some of us to understand, but it's all reconciled in Christ because he is perfectly just and he is perfectly loving. And so what he did is somebody had to pay the price, so he decided he would pay it. Woo! And I'm glad he did. Because I didn't have enough salt, gold coins, or any other currency to pay the price that was required for sin. I couldn't have fixed it, and that's why I'm so glad he did. So Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died in my place for my sins, but because he was perfect, death had no claim to him, could not hold him. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's why this message is light and hope to all that hear it. Because what is, what is required for us in all of this, right? We sin, we cause the problem, God comes, makes a way to, to, that, that that problem is fixed, that reconciliation is possible. And, and so what does, he, what does he demand of us? That we can partake in this finished work of Christ. It would be reasonable that he, he would require all of everything that we have and, and that we would, that there would be no request too high from him for us to be able to jump in and be a part of, of being made perfect again through Christ. But here's what he asks. Believe it. Believe it. Believe what the Bible says about who God is and what he's done. Believe in the, the message of the finished work of Christ. What, what does it take for somebody to go from death to life, from darkness to light? Faith. It's belief. And, and some, of you, some of you know that. Some of you could rattle that off, and yet you still find yourself at times when you're struggling, when, when, when you, you're hearing that whispering in your ear about who you are, when somebody, whether it's yourself, it's voices from the past, it's our enemy, uh, or his cohorts, somebody's whispering in your ear talking about who you are, that you're not good enough, that you're not doing this and you're not doing that. This is where you failed today and yesterday, and, and, and that rah-rah just keeps going in your ear and you, you keep hearing it. Some, some of what you guys are tempted to do in those moments is, is begin to try to rehearse back and push back against those voices with the list of all the good things you're doing. Hold, hold on, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a failure in Christ because I'm doing this. I'm attending church regularly and I'm a part of outreaches and I've been giving faithfully and you wanna, you wanna push back against these voices uh, with, with the list of your good deeds. And, and I, I just wanna say to you that that's, that's a fool's errand. That's not gonna work. Those voices are gonna overpower because you know and I know our wickedness far outweighs our goodness. And half the time the good stuff we do is out of jacked up motives. And so you can't push back against those lies and deceptions about who you are with, with a list of good works and righteousness. 
You got you to push back with what he did because there's no place for that voice to even be speaking to you if you understand who you are in Christ. If you are a child of God, if you by faith in Christ have been taken from darkness to light, from death to life, if you are welcomed into the throne room of God Almighty, invited in as a son or daughter, nobody has the right to come and talk to you about anything other than God himself. So whoever's voice that is, whether it's yours, the voices from the past, or, or, or the enemy himself trying to talk to you about that you're a failure or not done good enough, or you're, you're going to be rejected by God because even though you've trusted him by faith, you're, you're, you're not doing this, this, and this. Man, don't, don't try to push back against that with, well, but, but I am doing that and I am doing this. It, it's, it's, look what Christ did. We don't need to have this conversation as a mute point. Right, And I realize it's all an internal monologue and I'm using language that makes it sound kind of weird, but you guys, I know you guys have these conversations in your head because I do. When, I hear, when, when it's me, myself, or, or whatever it is trying to tell me that, man, you, what, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? You, you are not worthy to be talking to anybody about Jesus. Look, look at the way you just thought about that person. Look at, what you, look at what just came out of your mouth. Look at the way you're acting. Hold on, man. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I'm a man that's on a process of sanctification. I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. But in the meantime, you can take all that mess elsewhere because Jesus stood in my place. And he knew that I was going to sin today and tomorrow and the next day. And that doesn't mean that I care less about holiness. That makes me want to serve him more. That makes me want to obey him better. The fact that he's already made concession for my failings. So you can take that mess elsewhere. We're not going to have that conversation anymore. It is the gospel that makes me a son or a daughter of God. It is the gospel that frees me to be the salt and the light of the earth. That allows me to partake in the beauty of the mission of spreading this beautiful truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's my, Jesus is my qualification. It was, he was my qualification the day I was saved and will be the day, until the day I stand before him. And everywhere in between. So, so, so please stop having that conversation with yourself or anybody else. No, you're not good enough. Neither am I, but that's not the point. <laughs> he is. And because of that, I'm called righteous. I'm called things like the light of the world. If it was based on what I was doing, this whole thing would have been dark to begin with. There wouldn't have been any light or salt or any other happy words. It would have been all bad. Right? You know what I'm talking about? All right, don't wholly stare at me now. You know what happens when you do that. It's like poking a bear. Don't do it. So I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful because of that. I don't have to justify myself to myself or anybody else. That doesn't mean if, if, if there's assessment to be done, convictions gripping my frame that I'm not repentant. Of course I am. But I'm not going to have this daily conversation about, man, are you really saved? Are you really living for God? Are you really worthy of what it is he's given to you? No, we're not, we're not doing that. He already showed me I was worthy. He already showed me what he thought about it. When he stretched out those arms and let him plunge stakes through his hands and feet, he, he made a statement that rings down way louder than any of what these other little voices have to say. And the only way I can get into those type of monologues with myself is to forget the beauty of what the cross screams at me. You are loved. You are affirmed. You are called. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Praise God today. It's not about what I've done or what I do. It's about what he did all the time, every time. I'm real thankful for that.
May we be a people who are salt and light to this world. May we be in this world slowing the progression of the rod of sin and spreading the joy and excitement of knowing and serving Jesus. May our commission as the salt of the earth cause the leaven of sin to shrivel and die in our lives. And may we be faithful, no matter the cost, to be a light on a stand and a city on a hill, shining forth the hope of the gospel, that as many as possible may turn from the darkness and embrace the light. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are thankful for the truth that because we are your children, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We thank you that you would allow us to share in the beautiful mission of preaching the greatest truth that has ever been told. Thank you, Lord, that you would trust us to be salt and light, that you would allow us to be a part and partake in the beautiful blessing of sharing the hope of the gospel with people. Lord, help us to live in such a way that um, when, when we walk into a room, first of all, God, I ask you would deal with our confidence. May we be convicted about how much confidence we have in you. It's not about self-confidence. It's about confidence in who you are. It's not about knowing whether or not I, I'm charismatic or I say the right things. It has everything to do with knowing that you are mighty and powerful and that you, by your Holy Spirit, can change the hearts of people. And so, Lord, I know that you have chosen to make me your dwelling place, that you no longer dwell in a temple made with hands, but that each one of us that have put faith in you, that we carry you with us everywhere that we go. And so, God, I'm going to begin to expect things. When I walk into a room because you're with me, I'm expecting the spiritual atmosphere to change for people to snap to attention. Not because of me, but, Lord Jesus, because of you. I have to assume, Lord, that if you walked in a room today, that people would stop what they were doing, that, they would, that they, their backs would straighten, that they would watch their mouth, they would contemplate their thoughts and even the deepest intentions of their hearts. God, I want to be salt in the earth. I want to change and affect the atmosphere everywhere I go. I want to season it, Lord, for your glory. I ask you, Lord, to help us to understand that joy and laughter and happiness is of you. God, may we never ever believe the lie that we have to trade happiness for holiness. But may we understand, Lord, that happiness in its greatest and purest form flows out of holiness and obedience to you. Lord, help us to believe that because we receive a counter message from the culture every day a million different ways. But God, help us to begin to push back and as the salt of the earth display the truth that happiness is from you that joy is from you, and that all the other things that people are seeking after to try to attain those things are temporal and, and they end up fading away and disappointing. But thank you, Lord, when our joy and our happiness is rooted in you and who you are and that you love us and that you've promised us all of these things, that that can never, ever be ripped from us because your faithfulness is never changing and you're perfect. Help us to have our happiness and joy rooted in that and because of it, let us be contagious and infectious with it as we encounter other people. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you would share with us the designation, the light of the world. I feel very unworthy to, to accept that, but God, because you've said it, I will. Lord Jesus, you said that we are the light of the world, and I know that what I am is a broken, dingy, dented lamp, but I carry within me the beautiful light of your essence and nature and character. And so, God, I will do that, and I will not put that under a basket. I will not hide it. I don't care what it costs me. 
Lord, help us to be bold, to display the light of your glorious life and love of your gospel wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, that your law of love shines forth from us, that your essence and presence, Lord, is tangible where we go. Help us, Lord God, to be faithful lights. No matter who may try to cover them, no matter what the cost may be, may we, may we count it joy when we are persecuted for the sake of your name. Lord, help us in that. Our tendency is to be selfish. Our tendency is to only want what we consider to be good things from you. But Lord, if, if what was to happen is that I would suffer, maybe even publicly, for the sake of your name, that people would see that the truth of your gospel is a reality that changes men's hearts, and if that was to bring you glory, then I say, nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. I say, here I am, Lord, send me. I trust you and I love you. Please have your way with us, Lord. May we be salt and light as you've commanded in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.